My name is John Sylvester. I'm Australia's longest serving crime reporter and write a weekly column for The Age. Many of my colleagues have wondered why I've never bothered to move to other areas of the paper. The reason's pretty simple. I've got the best job in journalism, playing cops and robbers and getting paid for it. Over more than 40 years, I've covered some of Australia's biggest crimes and met fascinating characters on both sides of the law. In this series, you'll hear from them, the cops and the crooks, telling their stories. Welcome to my world. Welcome to Naked City. If legendary lawyer Bernie Barmer was to ever turn the other cheek, it would no doubt be a slow-cooked beef one, served in red wine juice at one of the many eateries he frequents in Melbourne and Sorrento. Big, loud and funny and a natural showman, he's instantly recognisable as he sits at a cafe in Melbourne's hardware lane. Judges, restaurant staff and fellow lawyers stop for a chat and it's immediately clear that Bernie the attorney is never short of a word. But it doesn't take long to realise that it's really part of a well-crafted act. The knockabout, wrong side of the track, boxer, bouncer, turned legal street fighter, known as the gangster's last resort. A career in the criminal courts has taken its toll, but it was an event just outside the precinct more than 30 years ago that even now brings him to the brink of tears. It was March 27, 1986, when Barmer, then a clerk of courts, walked out of the magistrate's court building to slip across the road to his office in La Trobe Street, just as the Russell Street bomb detonated. He was the first at the scene and the first to try and help the fatally injured constable, Angela Taylor. Yeah, that was uh, uh, just a shocking day uh, as I was exiting the court because um, I thought the roof was going to fall in. Uh, I ran into uh, Angela Taylor. Look, it was a very sad day. I mean, you, there's plenty of people who have done a lot of braver things than me, but when you're in that situation, you don't think about your, yourself. Um, all I could think about was helping her. He carried her back across the road, well away from the bomb car, as stray sticks of gelignite continued to explode. She was a tough girl, he said. She lasted 27 days. Parts of her were on fire, so I put her out and... Uh, then uh, escorted her back into the courts and having been a, an ex-clerk of courts, I was able to take her to the uh, chief clerk's office and set her down on the floor. Uh, flesh and skin and blood and, you know, burnt parts of her and, and so on and uh, rang triple O and then the police arrived and uh, I was told to get out of there and got out of there and went back to my office and uh, all my secretary did was started screaming because I didn't know the condition that I was in, which shocked her. What injuries did you suffer? Well, I I didn't suffer any injuries apart from being a little bit uh, burnt because when when the bomb goes off, it blows all the oxygen out of the air and uh, it's just excruciatingly hot. So uh, putting out a fire, you've probably a bit of hair on my arms were, were... 
were burnt, but um, you know, apart from that, I was pretty lucky. Because Magistrate West to my left, he, he went down and he, I think he lost a thigh. And Carl Donatio over the road, he was down. You could see all of these things, and uh, was just an amazing, an amazing day. And you know, you think, you know, this is Melbourne. It shouldn't be happening in Melbourne, but it did. Even now, a loud noise can take him back to that dreadful day. Smell, taste, noise um, still bothers me uh, to this day. But, you know, it helps to uh, to talk about it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't go away because it keeps coming up. Like every 10 years is an anniversary. And uh, back then, um, I didn't have the benefit of what the perhaps police did uh, in getting uh, psychological help or... Um, counselling help in any way shape or form so it's like uh, like my dad from the second world war you tend to bottle it up and it uh, pops out and bothers you every now and again you never know what it is it might be a, a kid dropping a plate or, or stuff and your adrenaline goes And but uh, yeah it's one of the things you just got to deal with Bernie wasn't born with a keen sense of justice. He developed it when still a teenager and a victim of a stitch-up. In year 11 at Assumption College, the students complained that the milk was sour. His fellow students elected him, the delegate, to raise the subject with management. And as he approached a cynical brother, challenged him to take a sip to find out for himself. The school had a, uh, a farm and the cows were tapeweed and it uh, turns the milk bitter and that the, in the refectory there was a bit of a, a, a protest about the bit of milk at breakfast and the, uh, the Maris brother was uh, was telling the boys to all sit down so I poured a uh, cup and said taste it. The brother responded by punching the student fair in the mouth putting his teeth through his lip it was a major mistake. Barmer was a big lad who could hold his hand up That triggered something within me I uh, will say even then you had a, a good sense of justice well, put it this way, I wasn't going to take it. He would later become the Australian University heavyweight boxing champion, and he dropped the bully brother. While he was only defending himself, he was forced to leave under the threat of expulsion. It still burns that someone knew the truth failed to stand up for him, and perhaps that's one of the reasons he eventually became a seven days a week defence lawyer. The wheels of justice indeed do move slowly. The brother was charged with historic sex offences and is now still in jail. Uh, he got sentenced for historical sex offending two years ago to 14 years with a 10 minimum, so he's probably enjoying Ararat at the moment. It does take time, Bernie, but you, ultimately you do get your man. The road to a law degree was a windy one. He bounced at Fitzroy's Champion Hotel, worked as a galley rat on a fishing boat, went to uni part-time and learnt the legal rules of engagement in years as a clerk of courts. What sort of jobs did you do before you, uh, you sort of settled back into the law? Uh, well, apart from the, being a, a, a galley rat down at Bishanau, I worked in the bank for uh, 12 months. I worked at Legal Aid for five months and I worked at a firm called Cody DeWires in uh, St Kilda Road, Melbourne. And whilst there, I decided that I would start my own practice in June of 1983, having started as a clerk of courts in 1970, and then 
during my career at the courts, did law part-time over five years. So it really is an, a knockabout approach. Clerk of courts is where you cut your teeth, yeah? Oh, yeah. Look, you get to know uh, everyone. You get to know the good ones and the shady ones. And um, I bounced at the champion at Fitzroy for two years. And with that money, I used it to pay a fellow called Brian Dennis, who was a barrister, who uh, tutored me. So the money didn't go to waste. Well, you must have been handy with your hands because the champion was a bloodbath back then. Um, <laughs> you'd be in a, about 10 fights a weekend. Yeah, it was... Um, very willing hotel, very rough hotel. But being a boy from the country, I didn't know a good pub in Melbourne from a bad pub in Melbourne. But uh, anyway, soon found out. In November 1979, he was uncomfortably close to Ray Bennett when the armed robber was shot at point-blank range inside the Melbourne Magistrates Court. It was an inside job. Yeah, well, I was following him up the stairs to the mezzanine floor and at the top of the stairs, a fellow with the beard stood up and uttered some deleted expletives and uh, uh, shot him and he turned and ran back towards me and so I turned and uh, took off. As I've been quoted as saying, I would have won the store gift that day, but ultimately he came uh, around and he died just uh, at the exit going out into Russell Street near the uh, first court. Staggering to think that a major gangland figure could actually be killed in the court complex. Yeah, look, it was amazing. And, and the shooter must have known the courts pretty well. He went out the back door into the police garage and threw a piece of uh, corrugated iron that obviously had been previously dislodged and into the grounds of RMIT and never to be found since. Yeah, look, I was told and I believe that um, he probably even had a dress rehearsal on the Sunday beforehand where a couple of coppers on his side got him in so he knew exactly where he was going because you know what that was like a rabbit warrant. You wouldn't be, you couldn't. Oh, look, yeah. As I said, there's mezzanine floors and doors and stuff everywhere. So, uh, yeah, it was an absolute rabbit warrant. It's a good description. At any one time, Barmany's team have several hundred clients on the go with thousands more on file. At the time of this recording, he was preparing for nine murder cases. The firm covers everything from traffic offences to murder and he's often represented the underworld big guns. Many of his clients come on the recommendation of police who've known him since his days as a clerk of courts. One detective may have taken the relationship a tad too far when he stole the lawyer's shingle from the external office wall. Then for months, Bernie received pictures of freshly arrested crooks holding the Barmer and Associates sign. Clearly, they were plaintiff defendants in need of some legal love. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a fair idea who did that. <laughs> so it ended up in police possession because they would take a picture of a crook holding your sign and then send it to you. Uh, that's 100% correct. Anyway, I ultimately got the sign back. Um, I was going to threaten them with a written detonue. <laughs> and uh, anyway, look, it's uh, one of those things like we used to have Beak of the Week. I saw it as a bit of uh, bit of fun. No one got hurt. Yeah, it just brought a bit of humour and human element to uh, a very tough industry that they work in and I work in and my colleagues work in. For years, working in his firm has been seen as the ideal finishing school, with three magistrates, a county court judge and a QC going through the business. 
His training is simple. Prepare, do your job and don't use tricks. Over the years, Bernie has represented all sorts of crooks for all sorts of crimes. After all, Bernie was the go-to guy for many of Melbourne's most notorious crooks. I asked him what it was like to sit opposite someone who could very well be a contract killer. The personal issue, sometimes it's a little difficult, um, but they're here seeking your help. Uh, they sort of become your, your, your friend for that period of time, superficially. Uh, so, you know, it's a help situation. I'm trying to get information from them. And they're looking for me to me to uh, save them from a life imprisonment. Um, puts a lot of pressure on you. And you get the incidences where uh, the person is in custody and you're dealing with the parents. And you might have an incident where uh, it's a mutilated body, uh, a sexual situation. It's, it's a lot of emotion involved. You see the photos of the respective trials. Um, hard sometimes to get it out of your mind. It's difficult. If you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and subscribe. You could even write a review. Like Aussie 700, who said this is by far the best crime podcast on iTunes. You're too kind, Aussie 700. Or Rosa Ray, who commented, hurry up and get the next season going, please. Well, that's what you're Or Scooby-Doo, who said, I'd listen while driving, but probably shouldn't be. If on the roads, give you the don't put an action. So subscribe and tell your friends about it. I love you. Crime is a dangerous business. Lawyer Bernie Barmer has lost many clients through the underworld war and in other ways. I asked him about it in the interview for Trigger Point, Terry Carline's documentary. Crime's one of those areas of, of law that's probably a little bit recession-proof. Yeah, we, and, and it's disappointing to lose clients. I mean, you often lose clients when they have served a, a period of imprisonment and they get out after two or three days, have a hit, and uh, uh, it, 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 they die. Ever lost a client who's rolled over? Sure. As in being shot? Uh, or their demise in another way, yeah. 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 Anyone in particular? No one that I want to name at the no, moment. No. Um, Mick Gatto, for example, what's he like? Uh, look, I, I've, I met Mick through the fight game when I was uh, boxing myself, so I've known him for 25 years. Always had a good relationship with him. With a shaved head and prison-issue tracksuit, Mick Gatto looked a very different man to the one seen often at Underworld funerals. He appeared this morning in court via video link and with a new lawyer, Bernie Barmer. He used the seven-minute hearing to detail the extreme conditions his client was being subjected to while on remand at Port Phillip Prison. How would you like to be locked in your toilet for 23 hours a day? Went out to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee, it's just not on. The alleged underworld power broker is awaiting trial. Yes, I have uh, represented him a few times, um, but uh, he's a, I find him a charming sort of a fellow. Uh, others that have a differing opinion, but that's their opinion, but I mean, he's fine to me and always respectful to me and my family, so uh, I get on well with him. You ever hopped in the ring with him? Yeah. 
Who won? I'd like to say I did. <laughs> He's a strong man. Very strong man. Mick Gatto had a different idea about how the fight went. The lawyer, Bernie Barmer, we uh, interviewed him. He said he used to have a spa with you and declared he beat you. What's uh, your recollection? Well, Bernie was a was a very good uh, six-round fighter when I first started fighting, and uh, and I actually just walked into the gymnasium. I was only there a week, and they threw me in to have a spa with me. He was fighting that weekend, if I recall correctly, a six-rounder, and uh, we had a bit of a move around, and uh, I won't go in on <laughs> He didn't win, but anyway. I don't want to throw petrol enough. I owe me mate. I love him. <laughs> if you want to hear more about Mick, there's an episode in season one called The Best Defence is Self-Defence. Back in 2006, Melbourne's gangland war was winding down with drug kingpin Carl Williams locked up for 30 years. He hadn't yet been bashed to death with an exercise seat in the common area of his maximum security prison. That was yet to come. I asked Bernie his thoughts on what was going on back then as the war was finally winding down. Carl Williams of the world are in jail and many of the others have been murdered. What's the future? Uh, will it all settle down? Well, it seems to have settled down at the moment, but uh, there's always an apprentice gangster out there, isn't there? It'll raise its ugly head again at some point in time. They'll see an opportunity. They may or may not take it. Uh, but yeah, it'll always bubble along. What was it like to turn the radio on and hear that perhaps you've just lost a client? Well, it was amazing. Um, you know, it's almost watched this space. I think yeah, Carl Williams said at one point in time, put on your seatbelts. Um, uh, they were amazing utterances to the media. I mean, it was almost challenging, the situation. But uh, no, incredible. Well, probably like every other member of the community, it uh, certainly affects you and perhaps we're a little bit closer to it. Um, certainly affects you, yeah. Did, at any stage, you worry for yourself because they were so far out of control? Uh, no, I've never ever had any fear for my own safety, and I hope that continues. Yeah. Crooks seem to live their life like Hollywood gangsters, as though you know they were bit players in The Sopranos. Yeah. Do you see that yourself when they come in here and sit yeah, on the other side? Yeah, you can see it. You see it evolve. I mean, the media play a great part in that. You look at Alphonse Gangitano. Uh, the legendary Melbourne gangster Alphonse John Gangitano, also known as the Black Prince of Ligon Street, ended up being shot in the laundry of his Templestowe home. He was almost pursued and uh, filmed in Ligon Street, and so he started to wear the suits and the dark glasses and things like that. So uh, it, it's, I think, the media who put them on the pedestal. But he actually loved it. Oh, yeah. Alphonse yeah, adored yeah. it. I mean, he, he posed for photos for the media. I mean, some of the smarter crooks keep a lower profile. You know, someone like Graham Kinneborough yeah. um, tried to live his life under the radar, had a, quite an affluent lifestyle, but he wasn't out there courting the media where people like Alphonse, I think, uh, might be the drugs. It. Might be the drugs again. Um, you begin to believe your own bullshit, I suppose. Crime boss Graham Kinneborough also didn't make it through the war. He ended up being shot outside his queue home, the result of a hit taken out by Carl Williams. I mean, Carl Williams referred to himself as the Premier because he said, I run this state. Correct. He yeah. lost the election and got 35 years. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's a long time in office. <laughs> but uh, no, they do. I mean, they, they love it. And, and sometimes they look at it as a, a security blanket. You know, if you're in the profile all the time, nothing will happen to you. 
but uh, didn't quite did. work that way. No, it didn't. What do you reckon will happen to Carl Williams? He's got 35 years. Well, I always say if you do more than five years, you lose your life. I mean, uh, I don't think you can mentally recover from more than five years in prison. So, uh, well, if he does make it out, oh, he's going to be pretty old. He'll become a, uh, another uh, social welfare recipient, I suppose. You got a favourite client? I probably have a number of favourite clients. Um, I mean, Chopper Reed's always ringing for advice. I mean, I find him fairly amusing. Uh, he's certainly mellowed a lot over the years. When I spoke to him this year about the famous convicted standover man and author, Bernie still remembers Chopper fondly. Yeah, Chopper was very colourful. He's a very unpredictable fellow, and I think his victims found him a bit unpredictable as well, but he had a, he had a great sense of humour. There seemed to be a, a very small good side to Chopper. There was a very big bad side to Chopper. Look, he was always nice to me. He was always polite to me. We had a bit of a falling out because um, after the uh, shooting uh, down at Bojangles, um, he did a uh, statutory declaration inferring that I was doing something uh, improper. And that was uh, the days where they just bombarded the prosecution and the police with uh, paperwork. Many years later, uh, a journo with Channel 7 uh, contacted me and said that Chopper Reed needed my help and he wanted to apologise. And I said, well, look, I don't accept apologies by proxy. So tell him the two words that spring to mind. But uh, in the end, I met him at the uh, St Kilda Road Police Headquarters where the Sydney police had come down wanting to interview him about where the whereabouts of the bloke he shot in the back of the car in Tasmania. And... Uh, during that interview, I said to the police, look, you're only asking him questions in the underbelly books. And uh, Chopper just said, let him go. And I sat there thinking about it and obviously uh, another book, another story. And <laughs> he uh, he was a, a pretty fast thinker. And I first met him when I did the H Division prison riot inquiry when uh, I was um, a clerk of courts. With... with um with Chopper and Bojangles, which was, he was charged with the murder of Sammy the Turk. Correct. And he was wearing a, an armed robbery squad ballistic vest at the time. He, Correct. He made in, incredible amounts of allegations against you and members of the armed robbery squad. Correct. And Well, it worked because he was acquitted. And uh, he told me later, he said, you know what, if you throw enough dirt into a swimming pool, they can't see the body at the bottom. Well, well that's right. And look, he ultimately apologised. Um, but uh, yeah, that, look, that was the go back in those days. Just throw as much paperwork at the police because they had to go and investigate it. And it took their mind off the real job. You might think Chopper deserves his own episode, which is why we gave him one. It's actually the first of this series. Chopper Reed, Legacy of Violence. Although the criminal law can be tough, Bernie wouldn't want it any other way. But most lawyers don't want to go into the criminal law, do they? You're going to have a feel for this uh, to work in the dustbin of life. Um, you need a certain personality. You need, certainly need a thick skin. Um, you know, or some people think because you're looking after crooks, you're a crook yourself. I mean, you you got to deal with all these things. Um, certainly never worried me, but uh, it's some members of the police force think because you're dealing with crooks, you're not good yourself. Uh, the, the culture now, uh, it, it's more difficult to um, speak with younger members of the police force because of perhaps a distrust. 
Does the community look down on their criminal lawyer brothers? Probably not, but uh, I, don't, I think they find that what you do is a little bit more exciting than what they do. But uh, I couldn't be locked in an office all day. I couldn't stand the environment. And he quietly invests in the next generation with a work experience program where he looks after kids from the wrong side of the tracks. One student from the Northwest fell silent as they were heading to the Frankton Magistrates Court. She was staring at the window and Bernie asked her if there was anything wrong. She said, you know, I've never seen the sea. Later at a restaurant, he asked why she wasn't eating and she said she was not allowed to start until the men at the table had finished. A different world. Like many who built successful businesses, he wonders about the cost. For years, it was a seven day a week job. Monday to Friday was in the courts and the weekends were spent visiting clients in prison. The hard work, the gangland clients and the headlines also came at a cost. He now looks back and says, I didn't know at the time, but one of my daughters was terrified for my safety during the underworld war. Yeah, are you still enjoying it? Um, look, I do most of the time, yeah. Uh, I like in helping people. I like the characters that I meet. Um, I like the uh, environment. I like, you know, meeting new people. So, yeah, the answer is I like it most of the time. As I said earlier, you know, dealing with people's problems does tend to grind you down a bit, but uh, you've got to be a little bit resilient. I think humour helps you overcome the mental fatigue of, of that. You get a good bunch of colleagues, uh, you know, you have a, a long lunch and you can discuss uh, odds and ends with them and there's some people in the judiciary that I know and uh, you know it's, it's good to sit down with uh, them after a case and just say yeah you know because sometimes you walk away from court and you think shit I didn't see that coming where did I go wrong what did I miss that can happen but by and large now I love it and I've now got a daughter working in my office and it's just fantastic seeing her develop yeah it's good yeah, well, she's, she is of great benefit to you because she told me you still battled to use a computer. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, yeah, they can bruise you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, she's brilliant. His other love is boxing, and he was chair of the Professional Boxing and Combat Sports Board for 17 years. Colourful characters at day and colourful characters at night. This episode was produced by Margaret Gordon. Tom McKendrick is head of audio. Additional audio from Nine News and Terry Carline's documentary, Trigger Point. If you're enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And remember to rate and comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Unless, of course, you don't like it. Then shut up and go away.